I'm really excited that we began today taking the month of October to talk about the absolute reality of the substantial presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. <clears throat> what the church calls the source and the summit of our faith. So why are we doing this? Well, a study was done in 2019 uh, that, uh, of Catholics, and we found to our horror that 70% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Let that sink in for a minute. They don't believe it. They believe it's some sort of symbol or a memorial meal or just something we do because our parents and grandparents did. And so, is it any wonder that we're missing the power of our faith if we don't believe that Jesus is really present? And what is it that we're doing? To me, in my ministry, it, it's the, the absolute answer to why so many people, fewer and fewer all the time, come to Mass and go out the door and go back into the same old anger and bitterness and frustration and they let everything in the world gang up on them. Just like always. It's just another, another Sunday. We come to church and we go out and then the world overwhelms us again. No, that's not the way this was intended. And that's why Bishop Barron's book is going to remind us of the centrality of Jesus in our lives. Without Him, we don't have a chance. The world gangs up on us, and we, we hurt because of it. When we carry within us the answer, He is the answer. These are familiar themes in my ministry for the last 20 some odd years. How many times, if you've heard me preach, do I say, think and remember who's in you when you come to Mass? And when you go out through the doors into the community, remember that He is there. Really there. He is the answer. And the, the world that we live in is not all about us. That's what Adam and Eve thought at the beginning. No. The world is all about Jesus. And we should be all about Him. And when we don't believe that, we're in trouble. And so... I look forward, I'm so grateful, and I applauded Father Mario when he said, let's do this. The church is spending a year on what the bishops call Eucharistic revival. And it's so important. The very first part of what I'm going to talk about is the very first part of the book. This is my body. Please get one of these after Mass if you don't have it. It's a short book. It's not an easy thing to read but it points out to exactly what I'm getting ready to talk about. How we can transform the world, starting with our own lives. The first chapter in this book, which only has three chapters, is called The Sacred Meal. This is a sacred meal we've come to, and we're automatically at a great disadvantage today. See, it's not like the way I grew up, the 1950s, 1960s, we had the evening meal at home, the whole family. We sat around the table. My dad, my mother, my 
two brothers and me and my sister when she was born. We sat around the evening table together. And then every Sunday after church, we went to my dad's mother's house, my grandmother's house, sat around the big table with not only my grandmother, but with all her precious sisters, my great aunts. They were an interesting group of people. And all the cousins and my aunt and my uncle were there. So we had a big table after church on Sunday. A community communion meal after church. We have lost all of that today. There are not very many families that I know of that have any meal at all together. Generally, it's the kids are at practice. One of them's upstairs doing homework, playing on the phone. One of the parents isn't there. And if anyone gathers at the table at all to eat, mostly they don't. They gather in front of a big screen. And those that don't gather in front of the big screen look at a little screen while they eat. And if you've noticed, all the families that go out to eat, <laughs> no, families don't go out to dinner anymore either. And when they do, they sit around a table and they all look at their phones. Some community communion meal, right? That's what sin does to the world. It destroys families. And that is why we come to the solution to that in this sacred meal here. And it starts with remembering whose meal this is. And that it has power for us. Now, when I do funerals, I often say, I'm envious of the person who has just died. I'm envious of them because they're going to that great family reunion in the sky at God's heavenly banquet. And people look at me like I'm crazy. This is about the only time we experience any sort of a sacred meal. How many family reunions have you been to? Now, we've all been to some, right? What is the main thing we do at those? We eat we eat together, and we eat way too much together. But that's about the last vestige of community communion meals other than this one. This is the one that is the meal that Bishop Barron talks about that goes throughout history. See, the beginning, when God created everything, Genesis 1, verse 1, Bereshit bara Elohim hate Hashemayim ruhaita Aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father, His Spirit hovered over the waters, and the earth was formless and without, without voidless and without form. And then God spoke His word. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity present at the beginning, creating a paradise where He could have intimate relationship and easy fellowship, partaking of all the bounty of the garden with all of creation. That's the way it was God intended for everything to be. But we know Satan got involved in it, and the humans let their pride decide to break fellowship with God, and sin entered the world. Since that time, God has been attempting through various means what Bishop Barron calls a rescue operation. I've always called it a rescue mission. 
God's rescue mission for us. He tried with Abraham. He tried with Moses and the Hebrew people and the the Passover meal, the fellowship meal that was to take place on the fly, but to be repeated yearly. The, The meal that celebrates freedom and is perpetuated over time through history. He tried it with the temple worship in Jerusalem with David and Solomon. And ultimately, when none of that worked, he himself came into the world. He sent his son Jesus. The rescue mission we heard about in the second reading today. We should have the same mind among us that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the mind of Christ who though he was in the form of God, equal to God, did not count his equality something to be hoarded. Just like we're not meant to hoard the blessings we receive at this table. We're meant to take them into the world and share them. Jesus did not count his equality with God something to be hoarded, grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, a slave, And being found in human likeness, becoming human, he humbled himself even more all the way to death on the cross. Jesus is God's rescue mission for us. And he comes to us in his word that we hear spoken, in our fellowship we have with each other, and primarily through the meal that he sets for us at his table. Because... Jesus instituted this meal himself as his rescue mission to us. And we desperately need it because we've lost the power of it. It's meant to convey to us his power as well as as his blessing. I have seen with my own eyes in my own ministry what that power can do to people when they realize who they receive into themselves at Mass. I have, as some of you are aware, been in my lifetime a Christian clown, a fool for Christ. I have uh, trained young people to be Christian clowns at multiple parishes, and I've seen what happens when that occurs, when a group of people decide to take a step away from their comfort zone and be a minister for Christ. You know, young people typically at church, over my experience, you know, they start nodding off. They start arguing with their parents about why they need to come. We're tired of this. I mean, it's just boring, Mom. Dad, do we have to do this? Well, a lot of parents give in to that. But I had a group of children who decided to step away from that and take something new on. I trained students. If you could show the first picture now. Mostly young people, except for that old guy in the back. You see, I'm in that. You can see me wearing a black hat. I trained this group to go to where my ministry has always led as a clown. We ministered exclusively to the dead and the dying and those who were about to die. We went to nursing homes and memory loss centers and we ministered to some of God's most precious children 
Most of uh, people who are in nursing home or facilities, 70% uh, of them are visited by no one, zero, ever. And so we went and ministered to them. I told them, first of all, we did this with great prayer. I taught them that we are putting on Christ when we do this. When we put the makeup on, we're saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We should be saying that every time we go out the door of the church after Mass. It is Christ who lives in me. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But far too many of us, all the fingers are pointing at me, all too many of us go out the door of the church and we go, oh gosh, now what? I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Oh no, my phone's ringing. Oh no, I've got to same old, same old. It should never be the same old, same old. That's Satan telling us, go get back to your usual routine. No! There's nothing usual about what happens to us at Mass. There is power that goes into us. This group in particular. Go to the next picture, please. These two are the younger ones. And yeah, that's me. What can I say? I plead guilty. These two in particular, they were scared to death. The very first time I took them out to a retirement home, a nursing home, the very first time, we had mass together. We took the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ within us. We put on our makeup, praying that Jesus would transform us. And when we got on the van to go, they were scared to death, terrified. When we got off the van, they and several others that were with us, I think we had about 10 on that first, they huddled around me like I was the mother hen. I'd take a step and they were all around me. We went in, they were terrified. And I told them, you don't have to say anything. Just go, I'll do the talking. You sing when I play the guitar. And these people who don't know their name, they don't know where they are, they're nonverbal. When we played Amazing Grace, they sang every verse. When we sang Silent Night, these people who don't ever talk, they can't tell you who they are, they sang Silent Night. And others, You Are My Sunshine. They sang uh, all the old spiritual hymns when the saints go marching in. So these nonverbal people, they were still, Jesus was still in them. They were not useless, throwaway people. And we ministered to them simply by singing. We had little cards that they could put up in the room saying, Jesus loves you, and so do we. Total message. And we stayed 30 minutes. When we walked out of the nursing home, they were so energized I couldn't contain them. They were full of energy. Father Steve, can we? there's a nursing home. Can we stop there too? Can we go to that nursing home? Can we do this again tomorrow? Can we do this every day? These kids who could barely stay awake at Mass were so filled with Jesus that they couldn't set it aside. And I wouldn't let them. We went out every week, once a week, to minister to the dying. Show the next picture if you could. This is my hero, other than Jesus, obviously. This is Emmett Kelly Sr., also known as Weary Willie, a hobo clown. He was a Christian. 
a devout follower of Jesus, that led him to deface himself to make people laugh, to lift people up by demeaning himself. He humbled himself, just like my students did. We humbled ourselves to lift others up. Only the Eucharist and the power of Jesus in us can let us do that when we recognize who's in us. I'm probably, uh, Emmett Kelly died in 1980. I'm the only priest in, in, in the world <laughs> who's made three pilgrimages to Emmett Kelly's museum in Sedan, Kansas. And if you know where Sedan, Kansas is, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. No, it's right next door to nowhere. Okay, you can take that off. Put the last one up. That's Father Time. That's the last clown picture I've taken of myself. That was in Fargo, North Dakota when I put together a group of young people to be clowns. Young people. And we went to nursing homes. What else do you have to do in North Dakota? It's too cold to do anything else. We dressed up and we went out and ministered. And it took the Eucharist in us. You can take that down. I'm tired of seeing that guy. So, this is what the Eucharist is about. It fills us with Jesus. And we see in this book that I hope you'll take an opportunity to look at that when we remember that the intention of God's rescue mission, the intention He has for your life and for mine, for all of us, every time we come here, is to fill us with Himself. And it starts by believing that He's really there. If it's just this little meal... It's not. It's like Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, the entirety of salvation history is contained in one tiny Eucharistic host. All of it. Because all of Jesus is present in the body, the blood, the soul and divinity of our Lord. Never underestimate what happens when you take Jesus into you. He is really there. And it's God's intention. Jesus at the Last Supper made it his last teaching his apostles before he died when he said to them, take and eat. This is my body. And you know something amazing? He really meant it. <laughs>